Well, good to see all of you here this morning. Good you're here in God's house, all of us together worshiping. And I want to start with a question. It's a little bit of a challenging question. You ready? Have you ever looked up front at your pastor and thought, does he know where he's going? Don't answer out loud. This is purely rhetorical, just something to deal with right there in your heart. You know what, folks? If you stop and think about it, following, following is hard. You know what? It's hard to follow people because we have a mind and a will of our own. Uh, if you're following somebody sooner or later, whether you're right or wrong, you're going to think you know more than they do, don't you? I mean, we're all, we all do that. We're going to look at that, that teacher, that, that boss, that, that colonel, that sergeant, that parent, that pastor, and we're going to think, what are they doing? Where are they going? That's not, that's not right. And boy, when you're required to follow somebody in that situation, it's, it's nerve wracking, isn't it? It, it, it? In some cases, it's, it's even dangerous. That's a, that's a very important question when you're following somebody. Do they know where they're going? And if it's a fair question in following anybody, then it's a, it's a fair question in following Jesus, isn't it? Man, this whole thing is talking about following him. Does he know where he's going? Does he know what's up ahead? Can he successfully navigate that? I bet you, I bet you can guess how I'm going to answer that. The, the scripture has a wonderful answer for us folks in understanding this idea that, that Jesus knows where this whole thing is going and why that is such a reason for us to follow him. Let's open our Bibles this morning. Mark chapter 13. Mark 13. We're continuing our study of the gospel of Mark as we open our Bible today as we study this, uh, we have the same purpose in doing that that Mark had when he wrote that church in first century Rome. And that was to embolden, that was to strengthen faith that Jesus is worthy of following no matter the cost, whatever it might mean to us, whatever it might cost. And boy, folks, we're going to really see today how real of an issue this is that it can cost to follow Christ and that we understand why he's worthy of following. Let's see how this is dealt with. Mark chapter 13. And as you're, as I'm reading, I'm going to have a picture up here behind me. When we get to verse 3, it's going to set a physical context for us. And the context it's setting just happens to be a picture I have. Uh, it, you can't really tell. There's a ravine right here. And this is slopes coming up. I am standing on the Mount of Olives. And I am looking at the eastern wall. This is where the temple would be. That is not the Jewish temples. Matter of fact, it's an Islamic temple right at the moment. And uh, But this is, minus the gold dome and these buildings that were clearly built recently. Uh, this is kind of an image. This is is what Jesus is looking at. As we hear this story, this is where he's sitting and that's what he's looking at as he tells this story. Let me begin Mark 13 verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, teacher, look at these tremendous buildings. Look at the massive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, these magnificent buildings will be so completely demolished that not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the slopes of the Mount of Olives across the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. Peter and Andrew are brothers. James and John are brothers. So this is two sets of brothers uh, having a kind of a private discussion with Jesus. And they came to him privately and asked him, when is all this going to take place? And will there be any sign ahead of time to show us when all of this will be fulfilled? 
Jesus replied, don't let anyone mislead you because many will come in my name claiming to be the Messiah. They will lead many astray and wars will break out near and far, but don't panic. Yes, these things must come, but the end won't follow immediately. Nations and kingdoms will proclaim war against each other and there will be earthquakes in many parts of the world and famines. But all this will be only the beginning of the horrors to come. But when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be, not, not if, not some of you, you will be handed over to the courts and beaten in the synagogues. You will be accused before governors and kings of being my followers. This will be your opportunity. <laughs> opportunity is the word Jesus uses when we're being beaten and killed. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. And the good news must first be preached in every nation. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry about what to say in your defense. Just say what God tells you to. Then it's not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death. Fathers will betray their own children. And children will rise against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone, listen here folks, everyone will hate you because of your allegiance to me. But those who endure to the end will be saved. Verse 14, the time will come when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing where it should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person outside the house must not go back in to pack. A person in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for mothers nursing their babies in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter. For those will be days of greater horror than at any time since God created the world. And it will never happen again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens the time of calamity, the entire human race will be destroyed. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened these days. And then if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't pay attention. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform miraculous signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out! I've warned you. Verse 24, at that time, after those horrible days end, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man arrive on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send forth his angels to gather together his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Let me pick back up at verse 32. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when they will happen, stay alert and keep watch. Well, obviously, we just read a long passage, didn't we? Long passage, a lot of information in it. And yet today, folks, with all that there might be there to cover, my goal is really pretty simple. It's that you and I would know that we would experience the joy. That's right, after that passage, the joy and the confidence of knowing that this Jesus we follow, he absolutely knows what's ahead. He knows how to navigate it. He knows how to, to guide you and me through it. When it's all said and done, folks, he reigns. 
And that is just one more reason. It is, it is so good for us to follow him. One more reason he is so worthy of us following him no matter what cost. And boy, we did see a cost. No matter what kind of cost that might bring to us. You know, I got to tell you something funny. Every one of these messages, I think, man, this is the reason. This is, this is the most important one. And I was just thinking about that this week. And I mean, I just praise God. There's so many reasons. Every reason is the big one. Every reason is the, the most important one. Aren't you God? Glad God hasn't just given us one thing to hold on to. We have reason upon reason. We have evidence upon evidence. A mountain of reasons that we hold on to Christ and follow him no matter the cost. Now what Jesus just did in this passage is give us a, a 30,000 foot flyby over what the Old Testament calls the day of the Lord. What the New Testament calls the Great Tribulation, a seven-year time period. And we're going to kind of fly with Jesus now, kind of fly over the landscape and, and just see some of the big pieces uh, of what is happening. Again, and our goal is seeing, hey, wait a minute. Jesus understands all this. Jesus knows all this. He knows where this whole story is going and he's, and he's got it, okay? He's got it. Okay, our, our story opens up, verse one. It says they're walking out of the temple. Now, I wanna give you a little bit of a chronological uh, uh, content co context of where we are because we haven't really mentioned that for a while. Folks, we're within days of Jesus being crucified. That, that's where we are. We're in the week of what we call the passion. That week started off, and this has already happened, that week started off with uh, what we call the triumphal entry. Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Remember that story? People are waving palm branches and they're saying, you know, Hosanna, praise he who's come in the name of the Lord. That's already happened. We're inside now that week. And when that parade is over, Jesus goes into the temple and he drives out the money changers. And that, that's a wild scene. That causes a lot of, of stir up. And, and so then that day ends, he and the disciples go out to the Mount of Olives where you just saw that picture. That was a place they hung out a lot. Not, not just on this occasion, but whenever Jesus and the disciples went to Jerusalem, uh, it seems like quite often they, they hung out, they camped out. They went out to the Mount of Olives and that's where they stayed while they were in Jerusalem. And so then they wake up the next day, they go back into Jerusalem, they go back into the temple and it appears they spend the bulk of that day uh, in the temple. Jesus is teaching, preaching, debating. He's answering questions. If you still have your Bible open, you look down. Mark 12 is what is detailing a lot of that. If, if your Bible puts like, you know, titles above certain paragraphs, you can kind of look down through there and see the titles of what he's talking about, what he's engaging the, the group with there. And so preaching, teaching, debating, answering questions. That day ends... Okay, time, time to leave and they walk out of the temple and that's what we just read in chapter 13 verse 1. That they've walked out of the temple at the end of that day in Mark 12. And, and as they're walking out, a, a very, very obvious statement is made. I think one that all of us would make if we were walking out with Jesus. Man, this place is cool. Man, just look at this, look at this. And, and these disciples, man, they would have been to the temple. That they would have grown, gone. Remember, they're from northern Israel. They're not around the temple every day. But they would have gone there once, maybe twice a year. There may have been a year here or there. They didn't go down to Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem, as they would say. They didn't, they didn't go uh, uh, to the temple. But they would have been to it a lot of times. But even then, it was just one of those places you just... 
I mean, every time you're there, you think this, this is just incredible. And, and we're like that, aren't we? There's certain buildings we're very amazed by. Their architecture, their, their design. If you have a little bit of a religious bent, a lot of us have that, don't we? Yeah, we like great cathedrals, don't we? I mean, maybe there's a handful of them in America. Of course, Europe is well known for that. South America has some of these great cathedrals, the, the flying buttresses, the artwork, the stained glass windows, and, and you know, these big giant stones that it's built with. And I mean, some of these things hold thousands of people. And you walk into them, and have you, have you been one of them? And you almost feel like just walking in, you just walked into the presence of God. It just kind of has that, that feel to it. Well, folks, you would have absolutely felt that way in the temple. The temple that Jesus is talking about. Now, a lot of us first became familiar way further back in the Old Testament with a temple that Solomon built. Remember that? Solomon, David's son, that thing got destroyed because of their disobedience. It was an incredible temple. And then a, a temple is rebuilt, and this one is called Herod's Temple. The temple that, that Jesus is in, that Jesus is talking about, is called Herod's Temple. And it, folks, it was an incredible structure. Structure. The entire structure was 38 acres. That's the temple itself. There would be a few uh, kind of around the back along the side, some supporting buildings. We might call them maintenance sheds. They were nicer than that. But, but they were buildings that were supporting what was going on in the temple. Then there was an inner court and there was an outer court. That's what was 38 acres. Now folks, just to kind of get this in your mind, when you're going to your car in a little bit, our property just happens to be, guess what? Yeah, yeah, 38 acres. That's crazy, isn't it? Now think of this. When you're walking out there, a lot of our acreage, any church is built now, a lot of the acreage is what? Parking. They didn't have a big parking problem. Put your mule wherever you can. I don't care. You know, not a big. But when I say 38 acres, this is not about gravel and asphalt. The structure, the building, the, the, the supporting buildings, the inner court, the outer court, that's what was third. Everything from the train tracks, and you can't even see them because the wood covers them. You can't even see all of our property line over here because it goes deep into the woods. All of this was a physical structure. The entire property all the way out to Jeff Davis. It was phenomenal. You'd have been walking around with your mouth hanging open. If it was there today, you would be, you would be going to see a sight like that and you'd be in awe. Now here's the incredible thing. Do you know what that building says about God or about the people in it? Nothing. N- not, not even the buildings that God told people to build. Not even the buildings that, that God commissioned. It says nothing about the people that sit in it. I mean, folks, think of our building. We, we have probably one of the, the larger religious buildings in, in southern Virginia, wouldn't we? Do you know what it says about us? Zip! Absolutely nothing. We have a campus out in a theater of all places. Do you know all manner of sin is in that theater at night? Well, I mean, what does that say about them that they're meeting for worship there? Nothing. The building says nothing. This building says nothing good about us. Doesn't say anything bad about us. Doesn't say anything neutral about us. It says nothing about us. As a matter of fact, this incredible temple, this incredible structure, do you realize as Jesus and his disciples are walking out of that building, that building is representing the rejection of the Messiah. As a matter of fact, it's a... As impressive as the building would be, it, I could almost look at Jesus looking at his guys thinking, you know, that's a little shallow. <laughs> because everything in there is what represents the rejection of me. And you're going ooh and awe? It represents the rejection of Jesus at that moment. So the, the buildings don't say anything about us, 
folks. And, and so they walk out and, and, and Jesus uses that as an opportunity to say, hey, listen, I, I understand why you're impressed and it's incredible and all that. You need to know not one stone is gonna be on top of another. This place is going to be destroyed. He's speaking that prophecy early 30s, mid 30s AD and in 70 AD it will happen. That temple, Jerusalem, will be destroyed. Not one stone left on top of another. And folks, for Jesus to speak that would have just rocked their world. You know, every religion has relics, has people, has certain things that just represent it, right? I mean, for, for Christians, it's, it's the cross, right? Well, okay, for Jews, you got, you got Moses, you have the law, you have the Sabbath, you have Jerusalem, and you have the temple, I mean, when you say Jerusalem and the temple, that is Judaism. You don't have Judaism without Jerusalem and the temple. And so when Jesus just says, hey, two of these things are wiped out, destroyed, it's going to rock their world. What are you talking about? When is this going to happen? And sure enough, that's what they do. Did you notice, by the way, Jesus didn't answer their question. When, hey, when does the temple get destroyed? What does it look like approaching that? It's like Jesus, I, I don't know if he ignored their question or he kind of, I think he said, he leapfrogged their question. See, they're asking about the end of the temple. And he said, you know what? I don't, I don't, I don't want to talk about the end of the temple. I want to talk about the end. The, the end of what? The big end, the capital E end. And that's where Jesus goes then in this long dialogue starting in, in verse 5. Verse 5 to 23 gives us again what I referred to as a moment ago. The Old Testament says the day of the Lord. The New Testament calls it the great tribulation. It's a seven-year time period. Verses 24 to 27 point us to the second coming which ends the day of the Lord that ends the great tribulation. And, and so that's what he flies over. That's what he gives us a picture of. Verses 5 through 8 are the front end of the tribulation. The first half of the tribulation. The first three and a half years. And this is when things start to get really bad. And, and Jesus says, hey, listen, you're going to see this happening. You're going to hear about this happening. It's going to be horrible. But listen, I don't want you focused on what's happening or when's happening or how it's happening. I want you to focus on being prepared. Listen, folks, that's the message of Jesus. That's the message of the New Testament. Whenever it's talking about end time type stuff is be prepared. It, it almost like it whets our appetite with this is going to happen. This is what it's going to look like with one purpose to bring us. Oh, my gosh, I need to get prepared for this. And in this passage, being prepared seems to be two things, not being misled and not being afraid. Now, not being misled implies I can't be tricked, right? I mean, if, if somebody's misleading you, they've tricked you, they've fooled you, they, they deceived you. You've you got to be smarter than that, right? It, I mean, isn't that basically how we keep from being deceived? I've got to be smarter, I've got to understand, I've got to know. In this case, it means, hey, I've got a growing relationship with Christ, I've got a growing relationship with his word, I'm growing stronger in my walk with him, my experience with him. The, the stronger I am in him, the more I know him, the less chance. So I say, hey, there's the Christ, and I go, I go running off. Okay, the less chance I get deceived. And here's the good news. The very thing that keeps me from being deceived is the same thing that keeps me from being afraid. How do we keep from being afraid? We have strong faith. Man, who doesn't want strong? I don't want my faith to be strong. You know, folks, I, think, I feel like sometimes we think of faith as like something you just, you just squeeze real hard and the faith gets bigger. Squeeze real hard and the faith gets, gets bigger. That, that's not how it works. Faith is in an object. 
Faith is in content. If I have little knowledge of God, if I have a shallow knowledge of God, a shallow experience with God, guess what my faith in God is going to be? It's going to be shallow. It can't be, I, I, you know, when the hard times come, when difficulty comes, and I lower that bucket to get some help, to get some faith, one foot and it hits bottom. But see, the stronger my experience with the Lord, the, the more I understand who he is, what he's like, what he's doing, all of course, which the word of God helps me to know, then, then the deeper that well goes, the deeper I can dig for faith to walk through, to get through this moment. So Jesus may want to be prepared. Don't be misled. Uh, don't be afraid. And folks, this is, I, I think we almost have to imagine here Jesus grabbing us by the lapels. Maybe even grabbing us by the ears. Hurts a little bit. But five times, that's a lot, isn't it? Five times in these verses, five times in Mark 13, verse 9, verse 23, verse 33, verse 35, verse 37, Jesus says, wake up, beware, stay alert, watch out. That's the message. You have to get this. I think we need to see Jesus a little red in the face, a little urgent, a, a little intense. I mean, when you say something five times, you're, you're intense, aren't you? You're urgent about it. And so that's what we see as we go through verse 8. We enter verse 9, and we're now moving into the second half of the Trinity, the back half, the last three and a half years. And folks, the back half is a hundred times worse than the front half. It's, it's, it's a horrible three and a half years on this planet. As a matter of fact, did you hear what Jesus said? He said, if God didn't end this, the whole planet would be destroyed. If God didn't end this, humanity would not survive. There's going to be 19 specific judgments during these seven years. 19. One of those 19 will take out one third of the population in one event. One of the 19 will take out a fourth of the population in a one event. Folks, we're talking, we're talking about billions of people dying in a single event. That's, that's when it says this is bad. That's the kind of bad that we're talking about. And one of the things that will characterize this back three and a half years is a hatred for you. One of the things that is going to be the dominant characteristics of this three and a half years is the hatred of believers. Did you see it there? And folks, it, it, it said you're going to be hated. You know, we've been talking about during the course of this series that, that there's been times, there's been places where there hasn't been as much cost, right? We, we could come to Christ, we could go through the waters of baptism, and it was really just all celebration. It was just all good. And we went home and had a nice meal. Yay, yay God. With little no more thought about that. And we don't measure any kind of cost in that. But, but that won't be this time. That won't be this place. It says, man, you're going to become hated. I actually believe that in the, I'm going to be Johnny Raincloud here for a moment, okay? I actually believe that America's relationship with Christianity is over. And I think that in the next two to five years, you will not understand the nation that you live anymore. How was that for a little overwhelming and no warning? I, this nation, we have become the minority in, as Christians, and we've gone from being an annoying minority to an antagonistic minority. And there are a variety of issues that are going to derive this. But folks, I believe you're not going to understand the America that you live in soon. And we're going to be hated but now let's just say for a moment, I pray, I'm wrong. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, a lot, more than one pastor doesn't have a clue what he's talking about, right? Don't agree with that. That's inside. <laughs> just to keep it in here. 
Okay? Let's say I'm wrong. Hey, listen, I'm not working like I'm right. I'm working like America can be saved. Man, I'm one soul at a time, right? Man, we pray for America. We go out and we reach people for Jesus Christ. Do you know what? That ultimately it's irrelevant. That's a, I don't know if that's the right word. To use. I'm saying whether America is about to radically turn against Christianity or we're about to have great revival. Ultimately, what did Jesus just tell us in this passage? He said, folks, the human story, this world is moving to a place where every believer will be hated. Period. Not a lot of believers. Not, not for those who live in that country. Every believer, if you, came, if you claim allegiance to me, you will be hated. Are you starting to get now why the, the whole theme of this series as, as Mark is drawing to the climax, why this is so important. See, for us, it's just most, mostly an exercise in, in a hypothetical situation. Boy, what if, what if I was hated for following Christ? What if it really cost? But folks, that's not where we're going and it's coming and it's coming fast in America. And it, it describes a place, folks, where, did you see this? Where, where children are gonna be calling somebody and saying, my parents are praying, come get them. A dad is going to say, my son is doing this. Go get him. We're going to, families are going to turn each other in to the authorities. The government will be against us. Oh, real shock and surprise there. Religion. Religion will be against us. You know what? When I say that the religions will persecute, don't we all just think of Muslims right then? Boy, they sure are. They're doing it right now. Folks, I'm going to tell you where the persecution is going to begin against the church in America. It's going to begin from the church. It's going to be the church that is going to persecute the church. I know that doesn't make much sense. But folks, there's an element of the church that just wants to be liked, doesn't want to be thought of as as Neanderthals and morons, that wants to be shown intelligent and enlightened. And in a part of doing that, they have rejected this book. They don't say they've rejected it. They say, hey, this is one of many very important religious writings that that history has given us. And if we read this, there's things we can learn to make us better people and, and to be kinder and go out and be a good neighbor, right? But for the most part, they've stripped of it any authority at all. And then there's another element of the church that says, you know what? We believe this is the holy authoritative word of God. It's not for me to pick and choose what I like regardless of what it causes in my life. This is God's word and God's speaking. And churches that stand on God's word will be persecuted. They will be hated. And in America, it's already going on and you're going to see it more and more. You're going to see churches in this area persecuting churches that stand on the word of God. Now, folks, As long as I can help it, this is going to be a place that stands on the word of God. We believe this is holy. We believe this is authoritative. There's things in here. I don't like the way it makes me feel. And I don't like what it's saying about me. Tough. It's God's word. It's what we stand on. And we're going to pay for it. And what's going to be the driver of all this, folks, is a little guy we call the Antichrist introduced to us in verse 14. There he's called the abomination of desolation. That whole big fancy phrase that we would not use in America, that's not English words we use a lot. It basically means this. He's the defiler. He is the desecrator. And that moment will happen. Revelation unwraps this a little bit more. There is going to be a moment. It's at the exact halfway point of the tribulation when the Antichrist will go into the temple, a temple that's not there right now but could be happen overnight. 
Because of the speed is what is a real characteristic of these seven years. But he will go into the temple and he will declare himself to be God. The Antichrist will do that in the temple and the world will fall down and worship him in that moment as God. And he will defile it. And folks, that is the moment that we know who the Antichrist is. I think with, with scripture... I think piecing it together, I think if you back up a couple of months, if you back up maybe a year during this tribulation, you're going to see a world leader rising up. You're going to see some things being described. And I think right up next to this, weeks before, months before, you're going to be able to say, that's the Antichrist. Now, I just said all that for this reason. For 2,000 years, folks, the church has played so often the role of a fool. Don't be a fool. What do I mean by that? Don't, I think he's the Antichrist. Stop it. The scripture does not give you any authority. It does not give you any knowledge to call out the Antichrist years in advance. There is nothing in scripture that will help me identify who he is when he's eight years old. To, to see, some, oh, there's, well, now wait a minute, Pat, what about 666? Isn't that some kind of clue? 666 six, six, gains the entirety of its meaning inside the tribulation in the back three and a half years. It is not a number given to us so that we can figure out who he is as an eight-year-old. Folks, unfortunately, our world is filled with some really evil, horrible people, isn't it? That doesn't give us the ability to say, I think he's the antichrist. That is irresponsible with God's word. And some people out there think we know what we're talking about. And so when I use God's word in an irresponsible way and then it doesn't happen, it's not me that looks stupid. Guess what looks stupid? God's word. Don't see things that the scripture doesn't give you the authority and the knowledge to say. I know there's some rotten people out there and I know it gives us a little bit of umph to say they're the antichrist. Don't, don't do it, okay? We know who the antichrist is inside of the tribulation. And man, it, it, Jesus goes on there and says, man, you're gonna see things now You've never seen this on this planet. You're going to see wars. Well, wait a minute, Jesus. Wait a minute. What time out? We've seen wars, not that affected every person on the planet. Do you realize, folks, during World War I, World War II, there was whole continents unaffected by that. There, there was hundreds of millions of people for whom those wars did not affect a single day of their life. Okay? We're talking about wars that affect everybody. What, there'll be disease. Well, we've seen disease. What about the bubonic plague? That affected a whole planet. We're talking about disease that affects the entire planet. Famine. We've seen famine. Not that was felt by every single person. We're going to see d disaster, catastrophes in, in the cosmos. It will be a time unlike anything this planet has ever seen. And folks, would you believe that in the midst of this... People are going to come to Jesus Christ. In the midst of all of this horror, that's the word Jesus, in the midst of this horror, Jews by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions are going to turn to Christ. Gentiles are going to turn to Christ. Now think of that, folks. Let's put this in our context. Somebody's going to walk down this aisle. They're going to tell a pastor, I want to know Jesus Christ. They're going to go into those waters of baptism just like we saw a moment ago. And when they enter that water, the strong likelihood is that within the next seven days, they'll be beheaded. That's what Revelation says. That's what Jesus was just saying in Matthew, Mark 13. You know, folks, all of this is, it, I mean, really, it's almost like a fairy tale to us, isn't it? 
Oh, I mean, we may not like certain things going on in our world, in our country, but really when you start going here, just what people are going to come to Christ and be beheaded immediately? Yes. Yes. Over and over. Do you get now why Jesus is grabbing us by the lapel and saying, you really need to pay attention? You really need to listen to me on this one? It's going to cost and they'll flood to Christ. Can you imagine entering? I wonder what that would do to our baptism numbers. I wonder what that's, excuse me, would do. I wonder what that's going to do to church growth and baptism numbers. If you identify with Christ within seven days, you'll be beheaded. See, that's where the world story is going, folks. That's, that's where the, hey, the good news, Jesus knows this. Jesus understands this. Jesus knows how to navigate it. And folks, this will all end, verse 24, with the second coming of Christ. And that is when Jesus comes with the saints. This is what we call the battle of Armageddon. This is when he will defeat the Antichrist. He will defeat the nations following the Antichrist. One of my favorite chapters in the Bible that just really details this, Revelation chapter 19. And boy, it just builds to this high moment. It builds to this great moment, this great battle. And then Jesus speaks and the whole battle's over. It's like, wow, that didn't take very long. Yeah, that's what we got to keep in mind. He knows what's up ahead. And folks, there's tremendous chaos, tremendous persecution, and tremendous pain in between here and the end. But follow him all the way to the end because in the end, he reigns. He reigns. Now, when you pick up in verse 28 through the end of the chapter, and I didn't, I didn't read all of that, but what you get there is several parables, that's stories, that's illustrations for the purpose, again, of saying, stay alert, be prepared. That, that's the, Jesus gives us this little, this little nuggets of information basically to motivate us to be prepared. Well, well now, when you are told to be prepared, you're, don't you have to ask, what do I do? What, what chapters are on the test? Right? What, what, what do I have to, what's on the test? You know, if you're going on a trip, you, do I have this? Do I have, you know, being prepared implies I can check some things off. I've done this. I've done this. I've got this. I'm ready. Being, what does it mean to be prepared for this? Now, folks, in a simple way, I could say, read your New Testament. (laughs) Read it, obey it, live it, proclaim it. You're getting ready. You're getting prepared. What I tried to do with this, just to kind of give us a little list, I went to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a book. Paul anticipates seeing the return of the Lord, all of his writings, until he gets to 2 Timothy. And then that's when he realizes, this is probably my last letter, and I'm not going to see the return of the Lord. I'm going to be executed. And he's writing Timothy, basically saying, here's the baton. And and he's challenging him to be ready, to get the church ready. Here's chapter three. Here's what the end times are gonna be like. This is what it's gonna feel like. Here's things you need to do. And so I went to 2 Timothy and I just pulled some things out. This is not meant to be an exhaustive list. Folks, this is just little more than just getting the thinking juices going, right? Just give us some ideas. What? Okay, if I'm preparing, what does that look like? What are my values? What are my disciplines? What are my activities? What am I doing that makes me prepared and I pulled a couple of things out of Second Timothy. Let's see what that looks like. Number one, living a prepared life. You're bold in identifying with Jesus and sharing the gospel. You know one thing every one of us has done? We've all been embarrassed for Jesus Christ. We've all been in a place, we've all been in a group of people where we thought, this isn't the place I'm gonna bring up Christ. This isn't the time I'm gonna say, I believe that, I follow that, I do that. We've all done it. Don't anybody in here act like you have it. Every single one of us has. Okay, that's our weakness, right? But are we growing? See, you could, you could look at anything on this list. You could score yourself one to 10. 
I'm, a, I'm horrible. I've never even done it. Ten, man, I'm banging it out here. I'm hitting home runs. Maybe you could look at it. Hey, is this more true of me today than it was last year? Is it more true of me today than it was three years ago? You know what, folks? Here's the beauty. God's grace is so wonderful. This isn't saying you've got to be perfect. You've got to be leading the pack. But are you growing? Are you finding places? Do you see yourself being more ready to identify with Christ and and say that you belong to him, you follow him, you hold to his values, you hold to his word? Are you, instead of running from opportunities to share the gospel, are you looking for them? Are you praying about that? That's what a prepared life is doing. Number two, being strong in the grace of Jesus. You're clinging to, you're holding on to that grace. A lot of times we think about grace on the day of our salvation. We realize what a wretched sinner that we are and only by the grace of God, only by his work can we be saved. But folks, that's not something we cling to on day one of being saved. That's something we cling to every single day. We get stronger in our faith, stronger in our grip, our dependence upon his grace. And you know, Jesus says, man, when, when his grace has really affected me, we become gracious. We, we give grace. You know, folks, if you find yourself sinking in, getting stuck in bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, I'll tell you something, folks, Jesus has some he has some hard words about that. He, he really challenges that, that we can grasp his forgiveness, but then withhold it from somebody else. Man, a growing life, a prepared life is, is a life clinging to grace and a life that is gracious, a life that gives grace. Number three, or uh, yeah, what am I on? Three, sharing our walk with Christ in relationships. Man, 2 Timothy 2, 2, folks, is, it, it's, what you're, it's a definition of what some of your friendships should look like. It means in this friendship, we're, we're talking about the things of the Lord, we're growing in the Lord, and, and after sharing and talking about the things of the Lord, you know what ends up happening? Other people come to the Lord, and they come into friendships, and their friendships begin growing in the Lord. D- do any of your friendships look like that? Do, do you have friendships that result in both of you being stronger in God and, and living greater for God? Do you have friendships that result in people coming to God? That's living a life. Hey, it's getting bad out there. Right now's the time to be strong. Right now is the time for our friendships to count for something more. Folks, listen, I'll talk with you about Aggie football, Bronco football. Every now and then the weather's good. Let's talk about that. But our relationships can't be solely based on sales and sports and weather. We have to have some relationships out there that are counting something for eternity and for significance. Number four, we find in our life a growing aim to please Christ. That can be our life as a whole. It can be the pieces of our life. Man, I I hope I handle this in a way that just pleases God, that just brings a smile to his face. Boy, I hope we make this decision. I hope I respond to that in a way that pleases him. Number five, commitment to learning and obeying scriptures. Hey, you're here this morning. Check that one off. Praise God, right? You got, you got one on there. Number six, committed to living a godly life and calling others to the same. Hey, we still believe this book teaches right and wrong. Amen? Yeah. And, and so I learn what's right. I learn what's wrong. And I bring my life into submission to this book. The book doesn't come into submission to me. And what I would like it to say, I come into submission to what God's word says. And, 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 and this is saying, hey, listen, I need, to, I need to study it. I need to learn it. I need to obey it. And then I need to go out there and communicate it. Ah, oh, but folks, sometimes some of us are really good at this. Some of us do it, though, like we're notching nicks in our belt. I beat another one. I beat another sinner down. Uh, do you see what Paul says? Hey, go out there and do that how? With gentleness and patience. 
Why? Because we're a people of grace. Because I used to be just like them, living in the wrong, not understanding the difference. We're, we're a people of grace. Grow in gentleness and patience. Doing the work of the ministry. You know what, folks? Do you see in your life a growth toward wanting to be involved in, in serving and ministering and building the body of Christ, helping us take the ministry inside these walls, outside these walls to the world that needs our ministry? Do you see desire for that growth and that involvement in that? Now, again, folks, this is, I could add two to three things to the list right now. Don't worry, I'm not. The question is, do I look at this and think, yeah, this... This represents the values of my life, the disciplines, the activities. Folks, I, I, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Daily, regularly, I don't know, daily, weekly, monthly, periodically, we're to stop and look at ourselves and say, hey, does any of this represent me? Does it, is this what I've been doing the last two months? Is this how I've been, is this what my life is about? Stop and examine. I beg you, please, please do this. I tell you what, this afternoon, actually this morning, just a little bit, I'm going to take this list. I'm going to put it on my Facebook. Friend me, Randall T. Hahn. Why haven't you friended me, by the way? Uh, that's another thing. Uh, friend me, you can get this list off my Facebook. It's also going to be on the church Facebook, and that's on the front of your bulletin where the church Facebook is. Go get this this week. And, and look, read these passages. Go, go over these. Evaluate yourself. Is this, is this me? If it's not me, what steps do I need to be taking so that it... Be, man, aren't you grateful that God's grace, we don't have to arrive at perfection by next Sunday? He's gracious. You might have a hundred steps you need to take. You know what? Nobody cheers more for you than God when you take just the first one. He says, hey man, listen, I got the grace. I got grace for the 99. You're not even near. Just take the first one. Okay. Do you know that all unprepared people say the exact same thing? Anybody that's unprepared says the identical statement. I didn't know. I didn't know it was on those chapters. Here's my favorite one. I didn't know you were serious. I didn't know it was tomorrow. Do you realize if you've sat here now, it's been a pretty long time. <laughs> If you've sat here now for this last hour, do you realize you'll never have the opportunity to ever again stand before the Lord and say, I didn't know. Five times, I just read them, five times Jesus said to you, stay alert, be prepared, it's coming, this is what's gonna happen. You can never stand before him and say, I didn't know. Or my friend with gentleness and humbleness, please hear me say this. I think, I don't know for a fact, I think Jesus might respond to you and say, yes, you did. You didn't care. You didn't listen. But you did know. Folks, this is... When I read Mark 13, I'm not overwhelmed with guilt. I don't think that's what Jesus is motivating with here. I'm not overwhelmed with fear. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. Everybody run for the hills. He actually said that. Did you see that? Don't go get your coat. Flee. I, I, I don't think Jesus' motivation here is, look how bad you're doing and how unprepared you are. I think Jesus' motivation is here is, hey, listen, get prepared. Look, 
Look at the joy. Look at the confidence. Look at the strength you can have following me in through this chaos and this persecution that is come. It's coming whether you're prepared or not. What I offer you is a chance to go through it with joy, with confidence and strength. And when we get to the other end, I reign and you're with me. Amen? Amen. That's why we get prepared. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus giving us this message. Thank you for Jesus who saves us from this. The great tribulation is about your wrath falling on a God-rejecting planet. And God, I'm worthy of that wrath. I'm deserving of that wrath. And I thank you that before that wrath falls, your wrath fell another time. It fell on the cross. And I now have the opportunity to crawl up under that cross, to crawl up under Jesus and hide under him while his back took the wrath that belonged to me. God, I pray I would understand that. I pray I would live in light of that. Because after that wrath fell on Jesus, he then takes you and he takes me by the hand and says, now come on, follow me. What an opportunity to know what truth is. To know who to follow in the midst of a crazy world with all kinds of chaos. And you've, you've given us that knowledge. You've given us that opportunity by your grace. Lord, help us to live lives that are prepared. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we ask for your help in this. Amen.